John 4, 1 to, staying at verse 1, going to 26. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy the food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Father, we've sung your praises and we've expressed our Delight to who you are, your character, one of love and compassion and mercy and grace. And Lord, we've sung that we long for the day when uh, Christ will return. But until that day, Lord, I pray that you would keep on feeding us through the scriptures, that you would teach us, that you would change us, that you would rebuke us. And Lord, as we come to this passage tonight, I pray that uh, if any of us here uh, are feeling dissatisfied and have yet to 
to really experience the, the joy and the satisfaction that comes from being in this really intimate relationship with Christ. That you just, use this time right here, right now, and you'd speak through your scriptures and by your spirit. I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. It was uh, Mick, Jagger who, Mick Jagger who sang the words, uh, I can't get no uh, satisfaction. Or if you like Take That, which I do, I love Take That. Uh, they've got some great lyrics. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a fist of pure emotion and a head of shattered dreams. I've got a fist of pure emotion and a head of shattered dreams. And you know what? I reckon that actually summarizes a lot of people in our world. Uh, life is full of disappointments. Life's full of shattered dreams. And the things that once made us feel uh, really, really good and the things that once satisfied us, they, they don't satisfy us anymore. Because uh, people have let us down and our dreams have let us down and we've let ourselves down and we're just not satisfied. In his book, My World, uh, David Beckham says this. He says, as long as I'm happy, as long as I'm healthy and my family are happy and my family are healthy, then I'll be satisfied. As long as I'm happy and healthy and my family are happy and healthy, I'll be satisfied. And it sounds great, but the odds are that, you know, the posh and Beck's bubble will burst. And the chances are that he won't always be healthy. And so what happens then? What happens when his looks are gone? And what happens when his wife is gone? And what happens when his health is gone? Will he be satisfied then? And if not, where will he turn to to find satisfaction? Because we all crave satisfaction... Deep down inside each one of us, we want to be happy. And so we seek satisfaction in, in things, in different things. I spent 20 years of my life seeking satisfaction from different things. I thought that academic success would satisfy me. And I remember as a teenager just slaving away working for hours and hours and hours just to get the best possible exam results, thinking that I would achieve things and be happy and be satisfied. I never was. Or, or we think that, uh, that work will satisfy us. You know, if I could just get that better job with a better salary and just be recognized, then I'd be satisfied, then I'd be happy. I guess the, the number one thing we seek is relationships, isn't it? If I could just find that exclusive person who will love me in that real way and make me feel special and make me feel important, then I'll be satisfied. And we all crave just being loved and loving somebody else. I met a bloke um, on Thursday night this week and he was pretty open with me. I talked with him for, for quite a long time. Pretty open. He talked about how he just went from one relationship to another, to slept with one woman after another. And he said something like this. He said, it's not about the sex. It's just about waking up next to somebody. Wake up in the morning, there's someone lying next to you who might just love you and might just care for you. That's what he's after. Just somebody. Someone to make him happy. And friends, that's why this woman in John chapter 4 is such a contemporary figure. We read she'd been married five times. 
and now she's living with a sixth man. And no doubt she thought, you know, this is it. This is the man who will bring me satisfaction and bring me happiness and bring me fulfillment. It never did, not for long. And each time this man came, just used her for sex and left her feeling empty and hurting. So I'm going to ask you right here, right now, are are you satisfied with life? Are you deep down satisfied with your life? Is there purpose? Is there meaning? Is there satisfaction? Is there direction? Is there hope in life? And where have you got that from? And will it last? And what happens when a thing or the person that you put your hope in walks away or lets you down? Are you then satisfied? Friends, life was never meant to be empty. The Bible tells us that we are created as human beings in the image of God. In the image of God. That means that we are created by God to know God. To be in a deep, intimate, personal relationship with your God. I'm going to say right up front and that you will never truly be satisfied. You will never find true satisfaction and true happiness that, that lasts, that is permanent, until that relationship with your Creator is restored. In this book, Life After God, uh, Douglas Coupland spends 200 pages, over 200 pages uh, speculating about life without God. Let me read his conclusion. It's fascinating. Page 289. Now here's my secret. I tell it to you with an openness of heart that I doubt I shall ever achieve again. So I pray that you are in a quiet room as you hear these words. My secret is this. I need God. I'm sick and can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I no longer seem to be capable of giving. I need God to help me to be kind because I no longer seem to be capable of kindness. I need God to help me to love as I seem beyond being able to love. I just need God. It's not a Christian. He never actually comes to God, but he recognizes that he needs God. Because that's life. There's a God-shaped hole in each one of us. Uh, We're born with that because we were made to know God and yet we go through life trying to fill that hole with things. Things that we think will satisfy us. Relationships, popularity, money, knowledge, looks. We've got to come to the conclusion that we need God. And that's the conclusion this woman came to in this this chapter. As Forrest Gumpy said, life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get next. And that kind of sums up this woman. She walked to the well that morning like she had done every day. Uh, But this day was so different because this day was a remarkable day where she met the Lord Jesus Christ and she found satisfaction. And there may be people here tonight, you know, who actually know that they're not satisfied. And I would pray that tonight you'd encounter Jesus and have your world turned upside down and that you would find true satisfaction. Let's look at this passage together. Jesus going back to his home turf of Galilee. Uh, we're told that in verse 4 he goes, to, he goes through Samaria. <clears throat> it's a dangerous place, Samaria. It's on the west bank of the region today. 
And we're told down in verse 6, it's about the sixth hour. It's midday. It's not a good time to go walking because the, the sun's at its hottest, the hottest part of the day. I love down in um, verse 6, it says, Jesus was tired. He's weary. He's just a human being. He's fully human because he gets tired like we do. And, and so he stops at this well. It's Jacob's well. The same well that Jacob dug back in the Old Testament. And along comes this woman, verse 7, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Let me ask you, what do we know about this woman? She has no name. She's just called the Samaritan woman. And she's a Samaritan. It means that she's not a Jew, she's not a Gentile, she's a Samaritan, hated by the Jews and suspicious of the Gentiles. And she seems to be all alone, doesn't she? It's really unusual because it would have been unusual to come to the well at midday. Because it's the hottest part of the day. You came to the well in the morning to draw your water. And you can imagine all the other women at eight in the morning or at six in the morning coming to the well to draw the water. The, water was, the well was like the, the coffee shop where all the women would gather and they would gossip and share their lives and talk about their husbands. And, but this woman comes at, at midday all by herself. I think that's because she's an outcast, because she's had five husbands, and now she's living with a man who's not her husband. She's a lonely, a pathetic nobody. And what does Jesus do to her in verse 7? Look at the words. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus spoke to her. Jesus said to her, forget what he said, but the fact that he spoke to her is absolutely astonishing. Jesus being so radical because no Jewish man would speak to a woman in public. The Pharisees would never speak to their wives in public. Uh, But Jesus speaks to this woman. She's a woman, she's a Samaritan, she's an outcast, she's a stranger. It would be like, you know, the... A Palestinians having a, a, an intimate conversation with an Israeli. It just wouldn't happen. And Jesus kind of obliterates his reputation. He's happy to talk to a woman. I love the fact in verse 8 that he, he sends off his disciples. His disciples have gone into town to buy food. I mean, how many men does it take to buy lunch? Twelve men to buy lunch? It's kind of like Jesus wants to be alone with this woman. He wants to have a one-on-one with this woman. And what do you say to him in verse 7? He says, Will you give me a drink? It's a sign of friendship. Will you drink with me? And she's amazed then in verse 9. You're a Jew? I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She's amazed that he would speak to her. I was pondering this week. Now, it's probably the first meaningful conversation she's had in years with a bloke. First time a bloke's talked to her, he didn't want just to use her for sex. She knows she's an outcast, and then Jesus takes the, the conversation up a gear in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. And Jesus kind of gets the mind working. What is living water we should be asking? Why is he talking about living water? We know what water's about, don't we? What does water do for us? Water refreshes us. 
water sustains us. Water satisfies us. Water, when you're really, really thirsty, is what keeps you alive. And Jesus says, I can give you living water. It's an Old Testament image of, of water that gives life. Uh, water that will refresh you for eternity. Uh, the woman doesn't get it, verse 11. She's still confused. She assumes that Jesus is talking about literal water. She says, sir, you've got nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? She's kind of saying, I just don't get it. And so Jesus tries to make it clear, verse 13, he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never, never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. It's just such a beautiful, powerful image. Never thirsting again. Never being in that spot where your mouth is dry and you're just feeling weary and tired. Never being in that moment in life where everything is so overwhelming. Because the water he's promising will well up to eternal life. It will well up to a life that will last for eternity. He's kind of hinting at this, this spiritual void that we have inside of us that we try and fill with things and people. And he's saying, no, no, I'm the one who can give you this water that will satisfy you for all eternity. And the woman is so interested in verse 15. She says, sir, so give me this water so I won't, I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She hasn't grasped it yet, but she's still thinking about natural water, but she's kind of saying, ah, oh, Jesus, it would be so marvelous if I didn't have to walk here every day by myself with this stupid, stupid bucket. Wouldn't it be wonderful if I never got thirsty and I didn't have to come to this well? How wonderful, Jesus, if you could just give me something that would stop me having to to plod through this life of mine, just something, somebody there. This is kind of a... A bucket, this is a, a 20th century bucket, 21st century bucket. Imagine this huge sort of pot that she would carry on her head, a massive pot. And I guess, you know, uh, the pot is kind of a symbol of this woman's emptiness. Someone said, there it stood, empty again. She'd filled it yesterday, and she would fill it again tomorrow. It was like her life, a symbol of the never-ending thirst. She'd fill that wretched pot every day for the rest of her days, and yet it would still be empty and empty and empty again. That was her pot, and that was her, full of emptiness. And you know, that's us, isn't it? A psychiatrist has said, the best word to describe people today is empty. He said, people say, if only, if only I could, if only I could have this, if only I could afford to, then I'd be satisfied. And we try to fill our pots called our life with things. And we clutter up our life with possessions 
and we fill our diaries with people and we fill our, ourselves with these, these credentials and these qualifications and we're just clutching after something to fill our wretched pots with, thinking that it will fill us up and make us satisfied. But at the end of every day, it's just poured out and we're just empty again. They never last, they never satisfy. That's that woman. That's us. And I'm going to invite you just to grasp, perhaps the first time, how you can have your pot filled to overflowing that will never thirst again. He will overflow your life. He will satisfy you completely. It's called coming to know Jesus Christ. To do that, you've got to learn two things. The truth about yourself and the truth about your Savior. Let's look at the truth about ourselves. This is not comfortable. Jesus turns up the, the heat in verse 16. It gets really awkward. And he wants to show the woman what she's really like. He says to her, verse 16, Go, call your husband and come back. Call your husband and come back. He, he's not suggesting a group therapy session. He, he wants to confront her lifestyle. He wants to expose the greatest darkness in her life. He wants her to see what she's really like. He wants her to realize that her biggest problem is not her empty pot. Her biggest problem is that she is empty and she's been trying to fill her life with people and with men. She's actually replaced God in her life, I think, with with men and with sex. She's worshipped created things rather than her creator. She recognized the danger straight away. She's kind of embarrassed. So she says, uh, verse 16, I ha- I have, sorry, verse 17, I have no husband. I have no husband. She's kind of con- concealing the truth. She's kind of covering up her lifestyle. It's just too painful. It's too embarrassing. Jesus won't be put off. He says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you say is quite true. I don't think he's angry with her. I think he's trying to say to her, you've been rushing through your life worshipping people, worshipping sex, worshipping men, worshipping marriage. You've just gone from one man to another hoping that this would be the man who would make you happy. And now you're living with a sixth man who won't even bother to give you a ring or give you a new name. And she knows deep down She doesn't need to be told that she's a a mess. She doesn't need to be reminded by Jesus that she's made a mess of her life. It's there in front of her. Yet she still tries to conceal it. I think we do that all the time, don't we? We try and conceal the real truth by telling half and partial truth. She says, I have no husband. That's true. But she won't look into the eyes of her Savior and says, yep, you know, I've had five husbands and now I'm living with a sixth man. I find this woman really sad, really heartbreaking. Because she's just longing for someone to love her and someone to care for her. And she's worshipping created things, thinking they will satisfy. But I think she is the picture of you and me because we are spiritual beings. We do know that God exists. And yet we kind of try and avoid really looking at ourselves and, and realizing how far we've drifted and what a mess we've made of things. And the truth about ourselves is that you may not have had five husbands, but you've all sought satisfaction and happiness in 
things other than God himself. I don't know what they are for you. It would be different from every person I look at. You'd have sought your satisfaction in lots of different things other than God himself. Just take a moment now by yourself just to to register that with God. What is it that you've worshipped instead of him? What is it you've tried to satisfy yourself with instead of him? Whatever it is, my friends, it will leave you empty. And that sense of thirst is caused by a lack of relationship, not with people, but with your God and your Creator. And you've offended Him, you've disobeyed Him, you've rejected Him. This woman, she's immoral. She doesn't need to be told she's a sinner. When we sing Amazing Grace... The second line talks about saved a wretch like me. Whenever I do a funeral, so many people say to me, I, I don't like that line, can we change that line? But we are wretched sinners. We've all walked away, we've all disobeyed God, we've all done things that he doesn't like. Just face up to that, my friends. You've worshipped created things. You're a wretched sinner in need of a saviour. Because that's the second truth, is that Jesus is your saviour. The the woman begins to understand this. Look at verse 20, verse 19. The lights are going on. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, on Mount Gerizim, but you Jews claim the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's talking about worship. She's talking about God. When I first read this, I thought, you know, she's this typical unbeliever who is throwing in the red herring. You know, let's talk about worship. Where should I go and worship? Should I go and worship down at Kirribilli or in North Sydney or should I worship as a Buddhist or as a Hindu or as a Muslim? Tell me about worship. I don't think that's what she's saying. Because the Samaritans worshipped on the mountain because that was where they got forgiveness. And the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem because that's where they went to get forgiveness. And I think the woman is saying, tell me, sir, what can I do? Where can I go to get this forgiveness? Where can I go to be forgiven? Where can I go to offer my sacrifices? Where can I go to worship God? It's just a beautiful question. She's kind of going, I can see that I've made a mess of my life. I can see that I'm not satisfied and I want to worship God. Please tell me. Please help me. What can I do? And look what Jesus says. Believe me, woman. Time is coming when you will worship the Father. Notice that word, the Father, that intimate, personal relationship with God. You'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, you worship what you don't know. You spent your whole life offering sacrifices to a God that you don't know. Like the people I meet who spend their whole life praying to a person they don't know. But we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews or through the Jews. The way that you're saved comes from the line of the Jews. Verse 23, a time is coming, has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit. His worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. He's saying a time is coming 
and has now come where you won't go to a place, you won't go to a temple, you won't go to a mountain. How can you worship the Father? How can you worship God? You come to me. You come to Jesus. I love the word that he uses for worship in this passage. There's a normal word for worship, which means to bow down, to to, sort of fall at your feet before someone. It's not the word he uses here. The word he uses here is a, it's a kissing word. How can I kiss the Father? How can I be intimate with the Father? It's like, you know, lots of men have kissed her, but, but now she wants to experience the kiss of God and to kiss him back. And lots of men have promised to love her and Now God is saying, I will love you for eternity. And so she wants to kiss God back. She wants to give her life and to to give herself and her whole being to him. And so the woman says then in verse 25, "I, I know that Messiah, the Savior, is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Or literally, I I who speak to you, I am. I am the 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 Yahweh. I'm God. Kind of Jesus stands there and says, surprise, <laughs> it's me. I, I'm the one that you're to come to to get this eternal water. I'm the one who's going to give you life and forgiveness and satisfaction. Look at me. And that's why when she goes and talks to other people down in verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for yourself and we know that this man, Jesus, really is the savior, the rescuer, the deliverer, the redeemer of the whole world. And this woman, this empty, broken, unsatisfied woman comes to Jesus and she sees that Jesus is a place to worship, the person to worship, the one that we find our satisfaction and our forgiveness and our hope in. Because he's the saviour. He is the one who died for our sins. He is the one who with, with outstretched arms uttered the words, Father, forgive them. And said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. I need to ask you again, are you satisfied? Or are you still empty? And perhaps you're here tonight, you're still looking for satisfaction in the things of life. And filling your, your wretched pot every day with more and more things like money and your looks and your success and your homes and your popularity and your relationships and you're just empty and true satisfaction comes when you know Jesus Christ is your Messiah and your Savior I'm going to show you how to do that tonight from this passage two things that you've got to do to be satisfied first one is this to recognize that God found you Recognize that God found you. Your satisfaction, eternal satisfaction begins when you realize that God has sought you out and God has found you and God has reached out to you. Because we think that we find God. And we think we're on this journey to finding God. But you know, God isn't lost. God isn't hiding. God hasn't gone anywhere. 
we're the ones who've walked away and, and God comes to us and God finds us. Did you spot that in the passage? That Jesus found this woman. Jesus was the one who sat down with this woman. He initiated the conversation with this woman. He spoke to her. He explained that he is the one who will satisfy. He is the one who will give this living water, this eternal life. He is the one who revealed to her that he is the Messiah. He found her. He opened her eyes. And he's the one who died for her. If she'd been the only sinner in the whole world, he would have still died for her to find her. And Jesus did that for me. 20 years of my life, just running and running and running until he stopped me in my tracks and he took time with me and he illuminated the scriptures to me, he opened my eyes, he revealed himself to me and the stubborn heart of mine that kept asking all these stupid questions, he was the one who was patient with me and found me out and kept going, come on, come on, come on, you can do this. You got it? You didn't find God. God found you. Do you recognize that yet? Or are you still thinking that you're big enough and clever enough to find God? And the second thing you've got to do is to respond to God on his terms. Respond to God on his terms. Because Jesus says, down in verse 23, that he, what he wants is is people who worship him in spirit and in truth. True worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Please don't think you can walk out this door and worship God in the way that feels best for you. Please don't think you can worship God in your own little way, by your own little rules, taking, picking and choosing which bits you want to follow and which bits you want to obey. Because that will never satisfy you. The true worship is worship that comes through the truth. You cannot worship the God of the universe unless you know that truth. What did Jesus say? He says, I tell you the truth. He says, this word is truth. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. We don't worship a, a book. We don't worship a concept. We worship a person called Jesus Christ. and We worship him in spirit and in truth. And what that means, my friends, is that, is that daily you kiss him. Daily you come to him and you love him because he's the one who's died for you and you want to obey him and you want to live for him and you come to him and you bow at his feet and you're saying, you're my Lord and you're my Savior and I'll do whatever you want because you are so worthy. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do because you're the one who loves me intimately and you're the one who will satisfy. Please stop trying to respond to God on your terms. Worship him in spirit and in truth. That's a simple fact from this passage, that you are lost and God found you. And he wants you to worship him, his way. And the way he does that is by saying, come to me and I will satisfy. Come to me and I'll give you water that will work to eternal life. I know many of you have done that many, many times. But again, I just keep meeting Christians who are just not satisfied. And they're disappointed. Why is that? 
because they've drifted away from Jesus. Because they've stopped coming to Jesus as the one who offers the waters of abundance that will satisfy you deeply and refresh you and sustain you. And they've just drifted and their eyes have shifted onto the world. And the, 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 the gaze of the world and the glory of the world is just so dazzling. And Jesus has lost his glory. If you're not satisfied tonight and you're a Christian, just come back to Jesus. Please come back to Jesus, the one who offers you waters that will offer you eternal life. But you might be here for the first time. And like this woman, you say, yep, I'm empty. I'm empty and I've been spent the last 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of my life seeking satisfaction in things and in people and in relationships. And I'm fed up because it never satisfies. And if that's you, I'm inviting you to come to the well, to come to Jesus and just fall at his feet and to kiss him and just to accept the refreshment and the water that he offers you and to be satisfied for all eternity. There's a prayer on the screen that you can do that with. It's very simple. It says this. Dear Lord Jesus, I've been ignoring you in my life. I've been seeking satisfaction from other things. I'm truly sorry about this. Thank you for dying for me. I can be forgiven. Please give me the gift of eternal life. And please help me, help me to live with you in charge. I'm going to pray that prayer right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I've been ignoring you in my life. And I've been seeking satisfaction from other things. I'm truly sorry about this. Thank you for dying for me so that I can be forgiven. Please give me the gift of eternal life. Please help me to live with you in charge. Amen.